1: So welcome to the Brave, Bold, Brilliant podcast. I am your host, Jeanette Linfoot, and I'm here today with an incredible serial entrepreneur. He's been in the travel industry for many years, but my God, he is so much more than that. Uh, So we're going to hear loads about the wonderful Steve Endicott's journey. So welcome to the podcast, Steve.
0: Hi, Jeanette.
1: (laughs) Great to see you. I've seen a lot of you at the moment, which is lovely. I'm not
0: sure about that, from your point of view, but carry on.
1: Take the compliment. So, Steve, you've had a very illustrious career over the, the years. So do you want to just take us through kind of your journey um, and, you know, where life started for you, where you are today? And then we're going to pick up from there, if we may. Yeah, I'm not
0: sure about the word illustrious. Successes and failures is probably a better description, <laughs> but long as well. I'm now quite old. Um, Where to start? OK, influenced by my dad, who was a docker and my mum worked in Tesco's. And I always swore I'd never work as hard as my dad. And that made me really focused. And I did O-levels, A-levels, degree, uh, and became an accountant. Not because I wanted to be an accountant, because it was really boring. But I saw it as a route in those days to get into senior management. So my uh, first job was Read International, which was corporate, financial. Hated it. Had a great year in the Bolton Evening News, starting a new free newspaper. But apart from that, very boring and when they mentioned internal audit, I went, no, thank you. See you later and ended up joining travel. And that was, um, oh, God, many years ago with International Leisure Group. Uh, and I did very well there because I knew how to cheat systems. And I used to recharge all my expenses, my little subgroup to the big group and did well and got promoted and came a director at 25, which was very young, probably mm-hmm. far too young. And then had my first life crisis. Because I was saving to buy a house. I was getting engaged. And Peter Long said, right, we're going to make you um, finance director of Intersum. And I went, oh, oh, I didn't expect that. Uh, and I went home that night, came back the next day and resigned. And I said, no, I'm going around the world because I always said I was going to do it. If I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. Peter Long said, it's the end of your career. You're never getting another job. You're so stupid. Uh, I came back in a year's time, offered me more money, a better job. But it only lasted five days, because that was the 3rd of March, 1990. And during the Gulf War, ILG went bust on the 8th of March. Uh, And then I got very, very lucky, because I did all the business plans for the startup of Sunworld. And I'm a corporate guy, I'm in finance, and all of a sudden, we're starting the business from absolute scratch. And it was a massive education. I really enjoyed it, until I realized that all the senior guys had the shares, and I had none. Uh, and then I got seduced to go and join Air Tours. And again, another odd story. Met David Crossland in London, um, ended up moving north, taking a cutting salary, cutting car uh, and going to company because I completely believed in his vision. Um, and also I thought, yeah, this could be an opportunity to expand. And these days we all boast when we joined Air Tours. I joined in 1990 and it was tiny. Um, and then I left the first time in 1998. No, 99, I think. 98, 99. And the reason I left is I've been commercial director, I've been sales director, I've been product director, I've been IT director, and a lovely guy who I got on very well called Peter uh, Rothwell got the MD job. And he was only about five years older than me. And I thought, well, hang on a minute, if he's got the MD job, where am I going? Mm -hmm. Uh, And that triggered me to leave. Uh, I had my first year in the garden, which was great, where AirTorz paid me to do nothing for a year. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and I was joining a company called Carson Companies, which owned uh, Carson Wagon Lee, Radisson Hotel, Seven Seas Cruises, and they wanted to do an Air Tours Mark II. And I joined, head up a business called Inspirations. Uh, and in the year out, it became a real basket job because they found fraud in the deal. And it ended up me being playing a game of bluff, Selling Inspirations, which we sold to Thomas Cook for a ridiculous amount of money and that combined with flying colors and uh some world again where i started uh, ended up being thomas cook and i'd make no apologies they were all a load of rubbish thomas cook paid a ridiculous amount of money for them and ended up going bust because of it many years later <laughs> so that brings me to 1999 i've had my first corporate win uh, i made an excessive amount of money um, from that deal and because carson paid me so much money and i only been there seven months when we sold to thomas cook they said Why don't you come to America? Come and work with America and head up e-commerce. And the luckiest break I've ever had in my career, had to move to Minneapolis, which isn't the best place. Uh, Sub-zero for seven months of the year. But I was heading up e-commerce in 1999 with McKinsey's Consulting, loads of big budgets, learned an awful lot about the internet. Um, But my wife moved over and basically after two months said, uh, I'm going back, new job, new wife, your choice. And being quite ugly, I thought I'd better keep the wife. So I decided I had to leave Carson, and they were very kind and let me out without any restrictions. So I just learned all about the internet, and I looked at the UK market, and I said, you know what? There's going to be a massive opportunity linking between the internet and legacy systems, because the legacy systems can't cope with the volume. Mm. Uh, And I called it Mouthware, and basically we just built a big call centre to link between the internet and the the, uh, legacy systems. And we got a contract with Disney, we got a contract with Cosmos and we had our own brands on the web and we also had uh, lots of other web brands we did performance for and that was my first entrepreneurial it my own thing startup but key I was financially stable had the house paid for before I took that risk so I'm not your natural born entrepreneur I didn't gamble mm-hmm. everything I just said you know what it's time for a change and that was 1999 I bet they'll ask you some questions on that
1: Gosh, well, word, yeah. uh, well, no, that's cool. We're going to get into into the sort of the second half, shall we say. But for a first half, gosh, loads in there, um, Steve, from what you've said. And I think one of the things that sort of stuck out for me as you were talking was, was you know, that decision earlier on in your career when you said, actually, sod this, I'm going to go travelling you know, even though you had, you know, you had a a fantastic, you know, position lined up and and the words of Peter Long ringing in your ear as you went off with your backpack. But how, how was that a really brave move for you, Steve? Or did you just sort of have real confidence in yourself that you could take that break and you'd come back and you'd be able to do something else? Or, Or was it, was it more of a, you had to consider it quite seriously before, you know, throwing yourself out to the world and walking away from, from a bit, you know. Well, I don't
0: think I considered it long because I resigned the next day. <laughs>
1: <So> <laughs> yeah. I, I think,
0: it's very interesting, very out of character. It was the first massive gamble I've actually made because I had no idea if I would get a job when I came back. I had no idea if Peter Long was wrong. It was just, no, I'm not doing that. That's not what I said I was going to do. And I talked to my uh, partner then became my wife and we said, no, oh, come on let's take the money we've saved and let's just go and do it because if we don't do it now and we're 25 by a minute, we're never going to do it. Yeah. And yeah, you know, so it was the best decision I ever made. It made me a much more rounded person, much more confident person because when you get on a plane and you're getting off and you have no idea where you're staying, no idea what you're doing, it just makes you grow up quick. Um, so no, I, came, I think I came back a much better person from that and probably more balanced to be able to make decisions between corporate and entrepreneurial. But I think the Sun world, seeing... Within a corporate environment, seeing a startup gave me the confidence I could do it. So it's an unusual balance of still being in corporate, but doing an effort what was a startup
1: mm yeah and I think I mean you know people that some people listening they may well be in that corporate space but feel inside them that actually that you know they do want to be in a bit more of an agile part of an organization maybe doing something as a startup and certainly I've been lucky in my career that i've I've been able to do that within corporates as well, and you're right it's quite a nice combination, isn't it to yeah. be able to you can find those gigs it can really set you up well for the future
0: um, and air it was massively entrepreneurial, because i give you an example. David Crossing used to allow me to bet my bonus each year. So for example, I I had a large salary and had 50% bonus, but I could take him a project. And I remember in the winter, we didn't have anything to do with the aircraft. Mm. uh, And my parents wanted to go to Australia, but they'd never go for more than two weeks. So I said, you know what? There's loads of backpackers out there, but there's a load of parents out there that will go on a two week holiday to Australia. So I put a program together to actually send the aircraft we didn't really want in the winter down to Australia bet your bonus on it, bang, double bonus. And it was other times and other examples where we started Sanford Airport. Again, another example, Lander International, oh, very frustrating airport. So we built mm-hmm. a home. And I'd yeah. gone out there and guy had done the, the incredibly successful thing of saying to me, come to my airport. And I remember going to his airport with him and it was a shack. And initially I was just getting back in the car, your joke, forget that. And then he made me walk the entire length of the runway and said, this is ninety percent the cost of the airport. What else do you want, Steve? And we got our drawing pads out and we draw it. And then I went, took it back to Air Tours, bet my bonus again, and we opened Sanford Airport. So they are quite entrepreneurial things that you're doing in the corporate environment with the safety of corporate, but it teaches you how to go and gamble.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, what a brilliant, what brilliant opportunities as well. And to be able to have that level of autonomy and still pretty young in your career as well at that point, Steve, because how old would you have been then? Sort of like late? What, I
0: was 30, early 30s, etc. But can I just tell you one I read story where I always pushed it too far and I learned from my lessons? So great deal. Made us a lot of money. It nearly got me sacked. The reason it nearly got me sacked is being the clever little what's it I am. I changed the code, which Orlando International was MCO. And I thought it would be clever to launch Sanford is MC0. (laughs) So nobody would notice it's a different airport. Funny enough, when the airport was then delayed and you've got all these people booked on MC0, there's a bit of an inquest. Yeah. And you never get sacked for it. (laughs) So I had to go out and spend the last two months in Sanford making sure it got delivered, because otherwise I wouldn't get sacked. Even in the court, (laughs) you can't do that.
1: Well, well, I think that's great. You know, you, you were definitely on the hook for it, weren't you? let me
0: listen
1: Yeah. But listen, you also talked about when you joined David Cossland and Air Tours and that you really bought into his vision for the business. And at the time, you know, I guess I guess Air Tours back then, they were really, even within that mainstream space, they were the, the disruptor, really, if, if you know, from what I remember. Um, so to talk about how important... I guess being in the right environment to flourish has been for you because um, that was clearly a, a pivotal moment as well. You know, you oh, yeah. Jump in?
0: Yeah, yeah, basically a lot of your career is based on luck of where you are in the right place at the right moment. So I joined in 1990, a massively expanded business. Yeah, I thought it was going to be a good ride, but nobody knew that it would expand as much as it did. Uh, and I went in there because it, typical David, he was in a disruptive position where he used to wait for everybody else to print their brochures and then the, undercut them by £10 and can work out we can make money. That was his pricing policy. Yeah. And I had to go in there the first time and build a completely new pricing system That said, well, maybe we should do our own pricing. Yeah, and had to build everything from scratch. It just didn't exist before. And that was mm-hmm. my first role in there in the commercial world, and I took over grocery pricing, I took over Lates. And it's one of those places where you can put your hand up when people left and say, can I do their job? So Paul Evans, who's a good friend of mine at the time, was running purchasing, uh, he left. So I said, well, can I do purchasing? And they go, Okay. So, again, you don't, in most careers, you just don't get that opportunity to expand your eyes and expand your roles. And it's just very, very lucky times.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd slightly argue the case with you a little bit there, Steve, because I think it's also about putting, you said I put my hand up, so it's also about putting yourself in the way of opportunities as well. You know, look, you know, what is it? The harder I work, the luckier I get, you know. So I think, you know, you're being very humble in saying it was all luck. I think you, you engineered and created a lot of those opportunities, I think, from what you've said as well. Um,
0: yeah. Well, let's talk about a couple of infancies that, who enabled that for me. And I'll give you a couple of stories because they're highly relevant. So one of the problems is when you're successful young, you become a bit of an arrogant git. Mm. Yeah, and I was a prime example in those early days of an arrogant. Well, I probably still am, but I was even worse <laughs> in those days.
1: So, oh my god!
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I had uh, a boss called George Markle, and he did a brilliant thing for me. He sent me on a course up in Scotland where they draw, made you draw a draw circle. You in the middle, yeah, and then they made you draw a draw circle the people around you, and how you interface with them. You vote how you work with them, and your frustrations, etc. And then they made you look at it from the other point of view and how did they see you? And you go, yeah, that's not really good, is it? So it actually made me stop being the algorithm and stop thinking that my ideas are so important and being seen to be the one that happened, the idea was important and start working with a team mm-hmm. and start getting that joint energy and how you work with people. And that was a really massive important. The second one I think I learned in corporate life was... How to not have a deputy is exactly the same as you, yeah. Because then you just you're not counterbalancing. Mm. Yeah. So in the early days, I, I employed like for like people, etc. Very commercial, very sharp. And then you have to learn to employ boring people. You know the boring people that do the detail, and the boring people that hold you back, and the boring people say, "What if?" and a half <laughs> fall. And you learn that in corporate life, and you take that into entrepreneurial life because again. The difference between corporate is you're quite controlled from structure above and structure below and structure. When you go into entrepreneurial, you're the leader. If you don't put structure around you that controls you, you can go off in all directions and all different wrong paths. And Mm. reflecting that corporate structure and that balance of people is very important in both corporate and entrepreneurial.
1: Yeah, let, let's talk about that a little bit more. And this probably takes us into a sort of, a, I suppose, the second half of your of your career in professional life to a certain degree. So when you made that that jump out of corporate into the more entrepreneurial space and, and kind of where you are now with everything that you're doing, just just give us a highlight in terms of what what the things you've been involved in, Steve. Um, I know there's lots, so so let's let's keep it let's keep it summarized. Um but but what what didn't what how have you made that transition and a transition that has stayed with you, meaning that you've kept in the entrepreneurial space rather than going back into corporate.
0: Ah oh, no, but I didn't. So that's the first one where you're wrong. So oh. in 1999, <laughs> I started my own business um, called Urban Web. And as I said, the big part of it was a call centre called Hollis by Phone, uh, partly backed by the Manta Gaxa family. that used to own Monarch Airways.
1: Oh, yeah. But I had a
0: big paranoia if I wasn't careful, I'd be trapped into running a call centre. And that's all I'd do. So I had a very unusual contract where four days a week, I worked on holidays by phone. And on the fifth day a week, I could do other things. They had first right of option for one pound. They never took any of them up, God knows why. But they only wanted the call centre, my original fear. Um, so that time, I set up Rock Insurance for Anthony Martin. And interestingly enough, he was working for primary insurance. And he played 26 golf days a year. <laughs> and wants to set up his own business. And I'm going, Anthony, you're not going to work for playing 26 golf days a year running your own business. So I recruited Anthony, and I recruited a guy called Jeff Rush because he was much more the boring operational guy, put them together. Uh, the initial shareholders um, all put their business into it, so it made money from day one. And 19 years later, was still own Rock Insurance, and it's a highly profitable business, um, which one day we may sell. Um, the other one was CW Digital. I realized that for my um, website business and every, well, my call center, it needed websites. So I built a business where 40% of it was internal and 60% of it, they had to find other clients. Again, built a management team. and That worked very nicely. I sold that three years ago to Zen Free. It, it built the first EasyJet Holidays website, the first Jet2 Holidays website. Mm. I had some notable clients in those days, et cetera. Never massively profitable, but really useful having a technology business that you can build your own products. Yeah. So, for example, we also looked holiday taxis. Uh, a guy called Paul Stanier came to it with a really bad idea about golf breaks, and we ended up that night, me and a guy called um, Brian Young having a beer with him and coming up with holiday taxis. And, yeah, it was just when the tour operators were taking out transfers and their basic packages, and we built a business about around transfers, and it ended up being yeah the largest transfer company to carry 6 million people, and we sold it for 60.5 million quid. In 1999 lucky 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 lucky. Um, so there were the four businesses all started with a desk all built up all based on building management teams uh, and then helping the management teams you know get their IT and work together with other bits of the jigsaw puzzle group and drive them. So all of that would have been a very simple story if David Crossland in 2003 hadn't come and knocked my door and said, well I actually didn't knock on the door. I bumped into from Victoria train station. we jumped on the train because he hadn't spoken to me since I left Airtours, would not speak to me, because I'd left the fold. We jumped onto a train. We spent half an hour talking about the market and the yield. And then the next day, he asked me for another meeting. And the next day, he offered me a job of running Air Tours, running Going Places, and running the web business. And it was like, I came from Airtours, cut me down the middle and said Airtours. So going back, it was like, oh, do I leave entrepreneurial life? And I remember my mother helped me make the judgment, because she goes hang on, somebody's offering you a proper job. And you, you can be in charge of that shopping. My, my precinct going places on, and you're going to just carry on doing this Mickey Mouse stuff. So, so I ended up in 2003 going back, and I had to sell Hodges by phone, but I was allowed to keep the other businesses. And I went back to corporate life, and I absolutely hated it.
1: What, what Had you changed then in between, Steve? Had you had a taste of the entrepreneurial and therefore the corporate world, you'd sort of outgrown it or you'd moved on? Or was it that the, just the environment, the organisation wasn't as you remembered it? What, what was the uh, reason why you hated it?
0: To be fair, I think everything possibly could have gone wrong went wrong. So, uh, and it's, it's a funny story. But it's not a funny story. So Seamus Condon, who was the MD of Airtour, was a good friend of mine. Will Wag at the FT, a good friend of mine. We want the to estate to, and a member Will saying, oh, be careful, there's a bit of a hold in the books, so make sure you get your share options after the year end. Um, and I go back, and uh, the first week, Seamus comes and says, Right, well, I'm resigning due to fraudulent accounting. And I run down to the FD, and he goes, yeah, I'm resigning too. And I'm like, what? And we had to look to rebellion against the uh, then-chair, uh, Tim Byrne, to say, we are not doing this. And that led to the unwinding of my my travel. And nine months later, I had to stand up in front of the city and explain why I'm writing off £960 million, £68 million, a then corporate record. So it's not really surprising I didn't like the job because it turned into an absolute disaster.
1: Not surprising. How was that then facing the city, Steve? Because, I mean, you've got your reputation as well kind of, and you know, embroiled within this to a certain degree, haven't you? Even though it might have gone on not on your watch initially, you know, you were still there representing the company to the city. So how, how, did, how did that that play out? Well,
0: to be fair, I was a little bit lucky because I've only been back two months. There's no way it's on my watch.
1: Yeah. It doesn't
0: give you a free pass, but it gives you a lot more. And the one thing you realize, I think we owed 1.6 billion, is that they were a lot more scared than I was because they're the ones lent us the money. They were the ones in the trouble, if they had to write it off. And I'm just the one that turned up, you know, it ain't my problem. So it, the more money you owe, the safer you are because they can't allow you to go bust. And it, it's exactly true because my, my travel, or Air Tours, it was known, and I hated the name My Travel, by the way, another story um was an absolute basket case and then it got sold onto Thomas Cook or merged into Thomas Cook yeah because the t- losses were so advantageous to another travel company but I'm not sure that it did at Thomas Cook any good in the in the long term so I put one name in the Thomas, co- Thomas Cook coffee with inspiration and I finished it with air tours because it really <laughs> didn't do did. I think the cop didn't have that cop do either to be fair though so there's a few other people guilty <laughs>
1: Oh, you um, so like the hatchet man, the
0: hatchet man. <laughs> so I did go back to corporate life. Um, and the good thing about that is when you go back, I always described Air Tools as like a super tanker facing the rocks. And the rocks were um, low-cost carriers undermining their market, the internet undermining their control of distribution on the high street, yeah, and dynamic packaging. And I could see dynamic packaging coming. So... Basically, I had a lovely year again where they paid me. This is twice they paid me for you year to do nothing. <laughs> and I could do other things. So then we launched the On Holiday group. And I took Bill Allen, the personal director, out of my travel. It was essential. I took Brian Young from Cosmos. And we formed a management team, along with a lot of ex-air tour staff, when Thomas Cook shut it down, that formed the On Holiday group. And it's really interesting this because we grew the On Holiday group from zero passengers to 600,000 passengers, 160 million turnover. So the same size as holiday taxis. Mm. Right? Holiday taxis had a very early internal audit from um, HMRC saying you should pay VAT. They argued against it. They got a golden letter and it, that all went away. On holiday group, we were behind Med Hotels who so had a VAT impact audit because they were a bunch of idiots, changing from a principal to an agent to a principal. Uh, and they basically got hit with a charge from the Vatman of X million pounds. And the Vatman said, the rest of you bed banks, you're guilty. We're taking four million pounds off you. And we had no recourse. And all of a sudden, overnight, we had four million pounds out of our fund. Our so the first thing I've learned there is I should have shut that business and given up, but I didn't. I carried on for three years fighting the Vatman. And we've only literally just set in the case now, 10 years later.
1: Wow. Yeah.
0: And the Vatman took it bust. And I can prove we were right because the Batman's now paying our money back. But you know what? Mm. Tough luck. You make 60 million off one business and the other one just goes down the pan. And it's yeah. just pure utter luck.
1: Yeah. And, you know, through all of this, because obviously there's been ups and downs, you had massive successes, but there's been, you know, challenges and, and failures, if you want to call it that, along the way. And, and just coming back to your earlier point around kind of confidence, stroke arrogance, um, or, you know, self belief in, in, in you how well one where does that come from in the first place that that outward confidence that you have is that something from your parents and two how has it served you in your career and how has it kind of gone against you in your career okay
0: um uh, I don't know where I have no idea where it definitely, definitely does not come from your parents so not the slightest idea where that outward confidence so interestingly enough so people I know I get on well with they tend to like me but loads of people I met who go, we oh, you're much nicer than I thought you were. I thought you were right <laughs> out of good gear. And I go, okay, why? Where's that come from? So it is out there. And it comes back to actually, I think the, the best thing that's ever happened to me was the failure. So I've had two major failures in my life that happened at the same time. Completely different circumstances, but they happened at the same time. So it's OHG going bust. I've never had a failure. Mm. Having to stand in front of your hundred staff and say, sorry, you're out of a job. Is massively government. Having to face the entire industry and say, we've gone bust is massively soul destroying. Mm -hmm. And you have to sit there and you go, right, do I just take this and go and hide? And I went, no, I don't think it's my fault. So therefore, I'm coming out. And I remember going to the ITT conference that year, about four months later, I was going, oh, surprise you're here. I'm going, I'm here because as far as I'm concerned, I've done nothing wrong. We've gone bust, but it does make you a better person because it makes you look more balanced Mm -hmm. and you can understand the downsides and you understand the cash management and it helps you when you're advising other companies. Because mm. my biggest mistake was not giving up early enough. Because I just wasted three years of my life. And even in this current pandemic, I'm saying to people, just give up. Right? You just wrap this company up, start something else, or phoenix it, because you're just going to go behind a debt mountain and you're wasting your life. So there's lots and lots of advice we do as a rebound consulting around that. And the other bit, the biggest failure in my life is my, uh, my marriage breaking down. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, it's a mother of my children. And basically it was my fault that, that the marriage broke down. And that's a massive blow again. Because, you know, you, you, I've moved on and I've got the lovely roof and everything's perfect. And, but shit, when shit happens, it really happens at once.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and, and was that linked to, to work, do you think, Steve, on, on you yeah. know, sort of the impact on personal life? Because it can be challenging when you're, you know, you these been Yeah,
0: of course it is. You, you take work. We all try not to take work home. You take work home. Yeah, yeah. That's just the fact of life. Mm. And yet you're not as nice a person as you are. If you're not under pressure. If you're under massive pressure. And for the last four years of um, on Hollywood, you're under massive pressure. Mm. You take it home. And it impacts your life.
1: Yeah. And I think, I mean, sometimes it, you, you, you have to have gone through something like that to really appreciate it, don't you? But, um, but equally, I think, you know, for anyone listening, what advice would you give to try and I'm not sure balance ever exists, Steve, personally, I think it's elusive. But, you know, what advice would you give having been through that painful scenario um, to someone that might be listening that's kind of going through something similar?
0: I don't think you can give advice. I think personal circumstances, but I'm now a lot more balanced. It's a lot more about my relationship with Ruth, the time we have together, traveling, enjoying life, is much more important. And the other mm-hmm. motto I've got, and I probably comes from age, I believe I will live to 100 until the day I die. I might die before that, but I believe I can live to 100. So now I'm over 50, I should be spending money faster than I'm earning it. Because I don't want to take it to the grave. It's pointless. The kids can have it now. They're not having it when I leave. So therefore, that gives you another balance that says, okay, work's one thing, but you've got to enjoy the rewards you've got because what's the point of making them? And I look at other people out there and I go, well, what are you working for? What are you doing that for? So I am partly retired, and I did partly retire very successfully until the pandemic. And then the pandemic has come along. And to be fair, I partly retired because I sold all the businesses, I'm doing a little bit of consulting, perfectly happy, playing golf two days a week. Yeah, going travelling, going skiing a lot. Then the pandemic happens and shit on board. So all of a sudden I've launched four new businesses because it's just, well, it's either sit there and do nothing or sit there, create and launch new businesses, but make sure you've got management teams to run them.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's loads of brilliant, brilliant, um, you know, takeouts from what you're saying, Steve, both on the, you know, trying to, I suppose uh, enjoy, the, enjoy the ride along the way, you know, as well. I think certainly, I know from my career, when you're so focused on what you're trying to achieve for the business, and, and, and that can be someone else's business, you know, someone else you're making money for, in, in not always yourself, that um, you don't always enjoy the journey. And I think as you get a little bit older, yeah, yeah, I, I disagree that
0: we enjoy the journey, we forget about our partners at home who aren't enjoying it as much.
1: True. True, yeah, no, that's a good perspective. You're in travel, come
0: on. What day in travel you've not really enjoyed? I've enjoyed virtually everyone I've been in it, yeah? But I go off travelling, going off meetings, doing that. It means that you're leaving a wife at home with three kids. That ain't fair, yeah? yeah. And that's the retrospective lesson I've learned, is saying it's not just about you, it's thinking about the people around you and how you treat them fairly while you are enjoying yourself.
1: Yeah, no that that's really good. It's really good advice and it's often something that people don't talk about because you're always talking about the business and you don't think about, you know, life. <laughs> life actually and and those that you love around you. No, that's fantastic that's fantastic advice. Thank you, Steve. And so just in terms of you know, you said with the pandemic that you you know, you you you've started four businesses. Um and and it, I guess right. this it's it, Well, madness, or just a passion and a, a curiosity and a joy for, for running and starting businesses and on, enterprises. But is it that, or, or is it that you're always looking for more or to prove more or be more? What's no, no,
0: it's, it's an intellectual exercise. I don't need the money. To be, yeah. That's an analogy today. We all want money. We measure success for money. And, of course, I want to sell it for a lot of money. But I don't actually need the money. So that's yeah. not the motivation. It's, for me, I have what I call an idea shelf. Yeah. And what happened in the pandemic is I could take those ideas and I could recruit management to actually fulfill those ideas because normally you just wouldn't get good people. So, for example, electric car organization, I've got Judy Kemp, ex running Avis. I couldn't afford to take Judy out of Avis. Mm. but circumstances change. we have got Stephen Hodge, who's the ex-chief um, operating officer of Jabil, a £4 billion pound business in Asia. Again, circumstances mean he's now looking for something to do. So mm-hmm. you can take people, you can put jigsaw puzzles together. Paul Edwards in the content gym was coming out of Sunmaster Master and uh, another business again, COVID, never got him. So help him set his own business up? Away he goes. He's running that already. So that's perfect. Um Shane Atkins I've taken out shearings because, you know, get went bust. We're doing Canny Finance and FX Guard. So basically the ideas are always there. Some are new. Why? Well, working at Home Solutions, I'm importing home offices for gardens because everybody now needs more than one office because more than one person working from home and the kids, et cetera. So mm. it's just lots of ideas where you go, right, okay, there's an idea. Is it good? And can I get a management team? And once you've done it once, you've got more of the balls to go and just gamble and do it. Yeah. yeah. And as yeah. I talked about the it worked, I didn't talk about the fifth. The fifth was Qless Q. And I thought it would be great to have an app where you can do fast pass entrance and jumping ahead of the queues for any pubs or restaurants or shops. Yeah, because COVID doesn't mean lots of queues. Wrong. Spent yeah. 30 grand building the app, no queues. Oh, well, been that. Foul fast. If it looks like it's not going to work, give it up. Do not, not keep flogging that deadles. <laughs>
1: I love this. So let's talk about failure because you've dropped you've dropped the failure word in there, which uh, is always an interesting one. How you how you see failure, how you view failure? Because uh, a lot of people they're so fearful of failing that they never get going or never start or they don't certainly don't finish. So talk about failure and how you have kind of you know approach it. I think you've got a, we've got a bit of a sense, but specifically No, I
0: fear it. I fear failure. I don't want to fail in anything. Your ego. We've all got egos. The last thing you want to do is fail. But you've got to accept that not everything will work. So it's very important to say, right, okay, is this working? And if it's not, go, I tell you what, I park it for a while. Move on to mm-hmm. something else. But nobody likes... Failure is the worst thing that ever happens to you to life because you have to face other people and you have to go, sorry. Yep. And it's, yeah. And it's not easy.
1: Do you do you always you know when things don't go well, Steve, and you've had a, a number of examples of that and, you know, your tenacity to keep going is is absolutely um, breathtaking, shall we say. But when you when something hasn't worked, do you sort of sit down and, and consciously go, well, what, what have I learned from that? What might I do differently? Or do you just sort of brush over it and go, oh, well, never mind, move on to the next?
0: No, 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 no. If you don't learn from your failures, you don't learn. You learn so much more from the failures you from different successes. Mm. You should know what to avoid. And you have to, you have to sit there and you have to analyse it. And you have to be honest with yourself. You know, why did this fail? For example, on the holiday group, the biggest failure was not realising that actually £4 million out of your balance sheet, you're Yeah, you Just give up. Because we just kept going and kept going and kept fighting and kept fighting when it was dead. And anybody with an amount of common sense and distant from it would have said, what are you doing? And to be fair, I blame some of my mates because they should have said, what are you doing? But I don't think they always knew all the story, to be fair to So,
1: so why, did you, why did you plug away for three years when deep down you, you really know you should have stopped?
0: First of all, people. It, mm-hmm. We had um, 100 people. Most of them, we'd taken from an air tours and we knew their job options were working on the tier in Tesco's or doing a very interesting job in travel and you recruited them. So you are letting them down if you yeah. just give up. So the more people you've got, the more emotional commitment you've got to the business. Yeah, you've got commit, commitment to your senior people because you bring them on. Yeah. So it's really your emotional commitment to all your team that locks mm. you into quite an illogical place. And it's what I've learned from that is that's great, but you're wasting three years of their life.
1: Mm.
0: So you've got to look at say, if it's not going to work, and there's lots of travel companies out there now, you are never going to bounce back, and you know it. So give it up.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard when it's your baby and you've put your life and soul and everything into it, you know, your energy, maybe your relationships have paid a price as well, and you, you're invested so far down the line. It's hard, isn't it, yeah. to pull that plug? Um, yeah. I'll,
0: I'll give you a quick example. In Rebound Consulting, we worked with a lot of companies in the early days. In the early days, it was obvious that you needed to cut your costs as fast as you could, right? And then furlough came along. And the yeah. amount of people furloughed all the junior staff and that's the senior staff on full pay. And I'm going, what are you doing? They're going, oh, yeah, but they're my friends. You know, I can't, can't put them on furlough. I go, mm. well, then you're not going to survive it. So managing relationships and friendships and business, of course you want to work with your friends. You don't want to not like the people you work with. But senior positions have got to require... Good judgment. And good judgment is don't just keep too much of your overhead to senior people. Well, can't, can't do the job. They haven't done the job for years. It's been yeah. rebooking you. And there's so many conversations like that, just getting people to realize the hard conversation and also say it's okay because one of the biggest problems when you're running your own business is who do you ask? Who do you talk to? Who do you go, do you think I should do this? And I do yeah. think non-execs, I'm a massive believer in non-execs, board consultants. I used to hate it when people talked about grey hair. Now I've got it. I get the benefit of it because I hated it in the early years. Oh, don't tell me you know more just because you're older. Well, <laughs> yeah, you've of the time.
1: Well, let's talk about that a little bit because you know whether it's non-exec directors or you know chairs or mentors or coaches, you know, other people having a, having a safe place where you can you know get inspiration, support, guidance, maybe a kick up the backside um, as well when required. So, you know, have there been particular mentors or, or people like that that have been in your life that has made a big difference to you, Steve, that have called you out, but also, you know, given you a cuddle when you needed it?
0: I don't think I've got many cuddles, to be fair. Uh, <laughs> George Markle was clearly one of those um, at early doors. Uh, interesting enough, Peter Rothwell taught me the most. He taught me about objectives, managing people, structuring people. Um, so I t- took, as I said, I hated him because he blew me in the boss and he had my job. But I learned an awful lot from him. And I think you appreciate it the hindsight a lot more than you do at the time. Uh, David Crossman, by far, if you talk to anybody at Air Tours, if you ever wanted a mentor, somebody to look up to, somebody who was a genius, he's it. And even though the business in the long term went wrong, it what an incredible journey from Alfred and Eileen Robert tours, one shop, to Air Tours as it became. Incredible journey.
1: Mm. And he was
0: a visionary and he led his team and he listened he was like an octopus. He sucked all the ideas in and then spat out the answer.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And what about today then? In in where you are now, having had all the the ups, the downs, the successes, having made lots of money, maybe lost some money along the way at different ventures. How do you how do you keep true, or how, who do you have around you nowadays? Because you can do anything you want, can't you? At the end of the day, you know. So, wh- how do you keep yourself grounded today? I think the
0: misses, to be fair. So Ruth, um, but she works in travel, she's got her own job and she slaps him around the head and I'm subservient. So that's a good grounding position, isn't it?
1: <laughs> Having a very, a very strong partner is a big part of, of life. She's
0: a very strong partner, believe me.
1: <laughs> I have one of those as well. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: you <one> <laughs> And You know, when you, if you were thinking about what drives you forward now, what's your purpose, what's your motivation, you know, what, what, what is it?
0: Absolutely nothing. Yeah, I should be semi-retired, locked down, I'm going to hand it all over to the team and I'm going to bugger off and play golf again. So don't expect me to be doing this for long. Nothing.
1: <laughs> that's a warning there. It's, it's clear. It's very clear. <laughs> when the world opens up, Steve's back on the golf course. <laughs> what, I,
0: what I like is, right, and that's why I said I didn't want to do startups is that all encompassing, That all, they take... Suck in your soul, suck in your life, and that's great, but I don't want to be doing that in the longer term. That's why each project I've got a magic team. And I'm going, Look, guys, you're doing it, yeah. And then I become a, I become a chairman, I can become a consultant, and I do what I want to do, which is use my knowledge, my experience, my contacts, my connecting people, my ideas, and pass it over, yeah. And yeah. I'm happy to share the rewards. And you know the other thing about all these things when you start a business up. And it's the most difficult thing, I think, of entrepreneurs if they don't come from the corporate background, is sharing. Mm -hmm. The amount of times I've seen entrepreneurs with 95% shares in the business, and I go, you greedy, what's it? Yeah? When you come to sell this business, that makes you far too important to the business. You're devaluing the business. You're making it hard to sell. Share with the people who run the business and gradually step away. If you don't do that, you'll never get the full value. But so many entrepreneurs go, I've got to have it all.
1: Yeah, yeah, I guess I guess it's it's you know a lot of people define themselves by their role, um, you know whether it's their own business or, or in an organisation. Actually, you, you sometimes you do need to separate the two a little bit. Um, a... I'm,
0: very, I'm very cynical. I think you should only define yourself by how much money you make. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, be very practical. My my initial ambition in life was to be able to go to the cash point, take out the maximum, not worry about it. That was my definition of wealth. Yeah. Right, and still anything more than that, you don't need anything more than that. So money is your measurement of the ego. You can have whatever job title you'd like, don't give a damn. How much money have you made from running this business or doing this business, etc.? Because not money is important, but it's the easy measure of ego. And we're all mm-hmm. egotistical people, let's be honest.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. So when you look back at your childhood then, Steve, and where life started for you um, with your mum and dad, how 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 is your world now compared compared to them? I mean, it's starkly different, or do you still see the, you know, the young the young Steve in you um as an adult?
0: Oh, definitely the young Steve's still here. It's starkly different, obviously. Yeah, I came from a working class background with money, because my dad worked hard, and it wasn't mm-hmm. The background, I I had a good bringer. We had plenty of things, but basically, dad, I hardly ever saw. He would go off at six o'clock in the morning and come back at six, seven o'clock at night and he'd work Mm. every weekend. And I went, I'm not doing that. Uh, And then the biggest difficulty I have actually is being coming from that background, dealing with my kids who've gone to private school, have had, yeah, how to deal with wealth and how not to spoil your kids is just the biggest challenge. Because you're so much aware of it. You're so like, oh, God, I don't want spoil kids. I don't want kids to just take everything granted. And it's a hard balancing job. But conversely, the value of money is so much greater when you're young. I'm not keeping all my money back to I'm dead. They can have it while I'm alive and, mm-hmm. and appreciate it. So they can have the first house. They can have the first car, et cetera. Because by that age, they shouldn't be spoiled. And I'm just passing down the benefits of what I've been lucky enough to earn.
1: Yeah, yeah, and we're all passing through at the end of the day. None of us know how long we've got, do we? So you're coming, coming to I, I do.
0: I've got 45 100. years left. I know exactly how good it is the jail. I have hundred. I believe I've 100. And I've got yeah. evidence. Both my, both my granddads live to 100, so at least I've got some genetic evidence. This is, to with it
1: this is good. I'm liking it. I'm liking it. And then um, what would your dad say? Is your dad still alive? Your mum and dad still? Yeah, he's
0: yeah, been alive.
1: Oh, fantastic! So, if I was having a conversation with your dad, and I'd say, "What do you reckon about your Steve? Then how's he done? What would he say?"
0: He's done well, and yeah, that's it. He basically, I have done well. He knows he's done, I've done well. I've, I've helped him out. How, you know, yeah, help other people out, etc. So that's great. It's nice to shit.
1: He's proud of you, then. That's lovely. Well,
0: I don't say you don't want a dad. It's not proud of you, do you?
1: Well, no, but that generation well, don't don't often don't you know, often. <laughs> no, that generation don't often don't always share their emotions, do they? You know, certainly. Oh, they never do. Of
0: course, not, he's not gone. I'm proud of you, and you're wonderful. But he gives me a cuddle Christmas when he's drunk, like everybody else does, and say, "I love you, son." That's enough.
1: <laughs> 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 Brilliant. I love it. Fantastic. Oh, honestly, Steve, this has been such a such a pleasure. I've got a few questions to finish with, if you don't mind.
0: By the way, is it just quick round questions?
1: Uh, well, it's, well, it depends. It might be a quick question. I'm not sure you give a quick answer, but anyway, we can try <laughs> as long as you like. So what's been the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Oh, I think
0: it's coming back to un- making sure you counterbalance your teams with people who you don't like but have got conscious skills to you because that means it's a much better balanced, balanced team and it, more successful businesses.
1: Mm, okay, Brilliant. And what about the worst piece of advice you've ever been received, either that you took and regretted or you didn't take and were glad that you didn't <laughs> take notice?
0: Uh, the advice, never give up. What a load of rubbish. Give up as soon as you know it's not going to work. Fail fast, move on.
1: <laughs> Fail fast, move on. Fabulous, yes. And what does brave, bold, brilliant mean to you, Steve?
0: Every uh, very be- bonicky, marketed statement that means nothing. But what you mean it does mean is do your best, don't be scared, give it a go. And if it doesn't work, go back to corporate life or try something else. But don't just do nothing if you're sitting there thinking this is the time. And pandemic is a life shock. It's the first time you would have sat down and gone, why am I doing this? Because in most jobs, you just go in week on week and it all goes on. And now you've had a life shock that says, is this what I want to do? And a lot of time the answer is no. If the answer is no, do something about it.
1: Yeah, that's brilliant advice. I think you're right. A lot of people have had time to reassess and and really think about what they want. Um, and that's that's a that's a positive outcome, I think, from from all of this mess. But um, no, they're great answers. Thank you so much, Steve. So, where can people find you, Steve?
0: How do you mean by that? What's my email address? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, how can people get track you down if they want to engage, learn from your vast knowledge? Where can they find you? Social media uh, or
0: yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, just look it up on LinkedIn, etc. cetera. Message my LinkedIn is probably the easiest one. Uh, and then, yeah, I'll, I'll come back to it. One of the things I'm very keen on is coming back to people. I don't like people just ignore people. Uh, and also, if I can help and it doesn't take a lot of time, I will help.
1: Yeah, that's great. You know, you give back a lot. And that's that's really appreciated, Steve. So thank you so much for being so brave, bold and brilliant yourself.
0: Very, very bonicky, Martin, but appreciate it. <laughs>